T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome into the nightcap here on WGR. Happy Friday as we head into a long Labor Day weekend. A long Labor Day weekend. Most people or a lot of people have Monday off. It's not you know that long. But I'm excited. Should be good. Especially because this weekend is the first real weekend of college football being back. I don't know about a lot of people. I am a major college football fan. Realistically, that is kind of what got me into the sport of football. It was not really the NFL, but much more college. Uh, I grew up in the era where the Bills were awful. They were terrible. So a lot of my early early adolescence was more college games, enjoying Saturdays more than Sundays. So that's finally back. We had games last night. We have games today that are kicking off now, including uh, Michigan State and Western Michigan, just to name one of them. And... Tomorrow, I'll actually be going to the Syracuse and Louisville game. Very last minute, me and my girlfriend are going to go down to Syracuse to see that. That should be a lot of fun. I'm not from the area. I've driven through Syracuse like twice in my life. I've never actually stopped in. So it'll be cool to go to the Carrier Dome, get to see you know, ACC football because they're playing Louisville. I was a little nervous about that. I didn't really want to go to a game where they were playing you know, trash, where I'm like, eh, give me a good game. So I'm glad week one I'll have a good game. But the reason I especially want to talk about college football tonight, and I think tonight was going to be a college football-centric show anyways, but it became more clear that it should be because today it was announced that the college football committee has voted on a 12-team playoff that will be at least, at the latest, be brought in in 2026. Could absolutely be sooner. I am very excited for that. I am very, very excited for that. But I'm nervous going from 12 teams from four teams. I'm excited because I like football. And I like college football. And as a Texas fan, I can lie to myself more and more that Texas will actually be in the college football playoff. I think as well, we'll get more teams that I think are are, are on the fringe of being elite teams or great teams. But... And this has always been the problem with college football. As long as I've been alive and really as long as college football has been going on, it's dominated by two to four. I mean, realistically, to me, it's two to three teams for like a generation, like a 10, 15 year window. These three schools just absolutely obliterate the competition. They clearly have the most pro prospects. They clearly are winning the most national titles. And they just absolutely dominate it. 
And that can be frustrating if you're not one of those teams, if, if you're not a fan of one of those schools. Me being a Texas fan, I got into Texas football basically right at the tail end. I, I was not a Texas fan for the Vince Young uh, USC Rose Bowl. I was not a fan then. My first real season was the Colt McCoy-led Texas Longhorns against the Alabama Crimson Tide in the national championship when Colt McCoy goes down, I want to say, like three or four plays into the game. So most of my life as a Texas fan has been a nightmare and, and not positive in the slightest. But as a Bills fan, as somebody that deals with painful sports fandoms, I've stuck it out. But looking through all of you know college football's history, especially the more modern stuff, I'd say more you know 70s and then in, I guess I'll count that as more modern stuff. It's always been dominated by these few schools. Alabama, of course, is a name that always comes up. Notre Dame always comes up. Michigan and Ohio State, of course. Now more recently, Clemson. Georgia was big in the 80s. They're back now. USC is basically the only team out west that really matters. Texas, Oklahoma, of course, A&M you can throw in there, and Florida, Florida State, and Miami. That's kind of where it ends, right? There's a few in there that'll, that'll kind of like throw their hat in the ring every now and then, maybe a year or two. Oregon, of course, was you know just unbelievable in the early two, uh, 2010s through like 2015. They were awesome. Loved watching them play. Penn State, yeah, you can throw in there as well. I forgot about Penn State. You can throw them in there. Syracuse had a few good years with Donovan McNabb. Louisville's had some exciting years. UCLA with Troy Aikman, I guess. Baylor, TCU, UCF, Boise. But that's the thing. I mean, you're going to add in 12 teams, right? Now, we'll likely... Now we'll likely have all the conferences represented. Even though, yes, we're going to the super conferences, we'll get the regions all all in there, right? We're going to get a team out west. We're going to get a team from the Big Ten. We'll get a few teams now from the SEC, ACC. You know, those teams are obviously going to be involved now. But for me, it just doesn't it, it, it doesn't move the Richter scale for me. Because ultimately... I still think you're going to have the, at least for right now, the Alabamas, Georgias, Ohio States, Clemsons absolutely dominate. That's, I mean, that's what you're going to get. They are just mowing through NFL level talent at the high school level, bringing them in and continuing to cultivate them until they are NFL talent and they leave. And the next guy just comes in and it just, it's a constant rotation. I love college football, but that is a frustrating prospect all the time and it happens every year every year it happens we'll have teams come in that want to break the mold most recently Cincinnati UCF Boise State a few years ago TCU was I I guess one of those teams as well and they just don't have the resources they don't have the name recognition that these other teams do realistically Alabama Georgia Clemson Ohio State those are pro teams that call themselves college teams that participate at a university, not at a, you know, a pro level. Some of those stadiums are larger than NFL stadiums. Ohio state and, and Alabama both have massive stadiums. 
that are just not seen on the NFL level. Not anymore. So I guess that's my fear with the 12-team playoff. Are we ultimately going to get it? And it means very little. That it, we play a few more games. Bowl games take a hit, which that's a whole other thing. I'd be much happier to lose more bowl games. I think the whole just winning six games and you can become bowl eligible is ridiculous. I think you should at least have eight, maybe even nine wins. And we need to shrink that number because, oh boy, some of these early bowl games are awful. And they need to just be put away forever. Because it's just, it's not, it's not good. It's not good. And I think we can all appreciate that the early bowl games are not good. But I, with that being said, the college football season that's coming up, I am interested in, obviously, you know, me being a Texas fan, uh, every year I like to lie to myself that Texas is back and that, you know, we can, we can start getting excited, even though pff, we can't. And that's fine. But even, you know, tonight, Michigan State versus Western Michigan, that's kicking off probably any minute now. And then, of course, you have tomorrow, Notre Dame versus Ohio State. Notre Dame is number five, Ohio State's number two. That should be a great game. That should be a great game. Clemson, Georgia Tech, that's fine. But even stuff like Week 2, Alabama versus Texas, should be eh, competitive for the first half. Baylor, BYU should be fun. I just, I'm at a point now with college football that I don't get as excited as I used to. You know, years ago, I would be sitting there a week or two before college football started, like, you know, week zero started. And I'd be watching these highlight videos from the year prior of just every team and just getting absolutely ecstatic. I mean, just losing my mind how excited I'd be. And now I, it's it's a little less so. It's a lot more of me just being, nah, all right, let's see what happens. And it's not really because I'm a Texas fan. I You know, with the NFL, I have a much tougher time watching football after the Bills lose. I always have. I've had much easier time watching college football after Texas loses, or if Texas loses. I'm more, I'm usually okay with it. I think a lot of that comes from just the fact that I've grown up, obviously, with like painful Texas losses and kind of being told, like, Texas used to be great, and I know Texas used to be great, and they're not anymore, and that's fine. But I grew up going to, like, UB football games, and UB, when I went, was not very good. They won the MAC title, I think, with only eight wins uh, the year that I, that I went, you know, all season to all their games. So... With college football, it's a little bit more like it's fine if they lose, even though for the most part in college football, you need to go undefeated to even have a sniff at the national title, let alone for a lot of these conferences, a conference title. But with that being said, I'm also more fascinated in the history of college than I am with the pro game. The pro game, to me, kind of stagnates like once the Super Bowl becomes a thing. There's differences, yes, but I I find the stories not not as appealing. I like some of the draft stuff, but after that, I, I you know I kind of lose it, and I just I I like to like you know remember players and what they did. But with college, I I was always more fascinated. The thirty for thirties on almost every college program that they've done one on, especially with football, is just peak television. Of course, you have part one and two of the U with Miami, maybe the most I, it's controversial, 
but also most fun college program ever. Basically all of Miami's history. The Pony Express with SMU is one that I find riveting, especially now you look at like modern college football and where we're at now, which is you can cheat legally. Like it's fine. NILs are a thing now. We're not going to do, you know, under the table, $120,000, you know, briefcases sent over to a recruit. We're not doing that anymore. We're just going, yeah, if you guys want to pay this kind of, this kid this kind of money, you go right ahead. And I'm, I'm both glad we're doing it. And I also know what that means for like some of these smaller programs. I, I feel nothing but, you know, happiness for the athletes. But for some of these smaller programs, UCF, for example, it's the biggest public university in the country. And I still wonder how many of their boosters are going to be willing to just fork out so much money for a football player, for a few football players, especially when the NILs are guaranteed money. It cannot be based on performance. Now you go down to Texas, A&M, uh, Oklahoma. They've been, they've been doing this for decades. This means nothing to them. They will shell out as much money as they can to win. They don't care. It's one of the things I loved about the Pony Express documentary about the 1980 SMU teams that just paid for everybody. And, of course, those are the teams uh, with Eric Dickerson on them. And he was one of the best college running backs of all time. But what I found fascinating is that everybody knew everyone was cheating. It was just more, just please don't get caught. Don't do it so brazenly that we have to punish you. A lot like the Miami Dolphins for tampering. Very recently, they got docked a pick. They got fined, all this stuff. And a lot of it was just more, don't be so brazen about it. That's our issue. If you cheat a little bit, if you show, in a sense... You know, willing to do anything to win. Everybody kind of like looks the other way. But I think where the NFL did that right and just kind of docked him like a first round pick, find him. They didn't like destroy the Miami Dolphins. I hate when college football, college sports really, the NCAA looks to like make, I guess, an example out of like any team they find cheating, even though everyone does or everyone used to, I guess. Now, now it's different with the NILs. And I know I'm making a broad statement. It's, you know, it's more my opinion, but it's kind of how it looks. But like with SMU, I mean, they were given what is now, you know, quoted as the death penalty. And SMU is only now recently recovered to where like they're a solid put together program. And that's not what they were. They were one of the best programs in Texas where football, for lack of a better word, you know, term, means more than anywhere else in the country. Maybe outside of like Florida. You know, college basketball. They haven't really had like a death penalty, I, I you know, per se. Really, football has. But like the USC program from a few years ago with the Reggie Bush stuff, gutted. And it's tough to kind of build consistent winners when you had that. And it's even tougher to build consistent winners when you have teams like Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, to a certain extent, especially now with Harbaugh there, uh, Clemson, who kind of just recruit themselves. Sweeney and Saban, Ryan Day, they don't really need to go out and recruit anymore. They can send their assistants out and some of the interns and stuff like that to get like really high you know, talent players. But for the most part, they can kind of just sit back and go, yeah, just send them a letter. Just tell them Alabama's recruiting him. Like, we're, we'll be in the top five. 
the whole recruiting period. He'll he'll take one visit to Tuscaloosa, and we're good. And if it doesn't happen, there's another supremely talented kid coming up waiting for that offer who could also be an NFL talent. And that's and that will and that will always be my problem with college sports, especially the big ones being football and basketball. It becomes like a snowball effect. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Duke basketball is a program I'm fascinated to see what happens to them now that Coach K is retired. Do they stay the Duke that you know everybody has essentially known them to be? I feel like under the age of like eighty, you know Duke is the this great successful college basketball program that just turns out national championship caliber teams, NBA caliber players. What happens now that Coach K is retired? I think a lot of that with you know looking at you know Nick Saban, Saban and Belichick have always been compared to each other. They're grouchy more defensive-based guys, and they just they win. They just win. I think Saban is better at his craft at college football than Belichick is at his pro, but they're, they're always compared to each other. But now, you know, what happens to Alabama when Saban eventually retires? I think likely one of his assistants probably takes over, probably a longtime assistant. But what happens? Alabama's had its years where they weren't good. After Bear Bryant left in the seventies, or after their their run in the seventies, they weren't you know they weren't Alabama until Nick Saban came back. They won a national title here and there with Gene Stallings as head coach, but they weren't Alabama. What happens to them if Nick Saban leaves? Harbaugh. What happens if he leaves Michigan? Does Michigan go back to what they were? Under like year two and three of of Rich Rodriguez, I think that's that, that to me is the interesting part. As much as I'm talking about now that you know different teams kind of just hold on to, uh, onto the throat of college football during their run, a lot of it it ends though when the coach leaves. And so for me, it's fascinating to almost see like who's going to be the next team coming up. I thought there was a little bit there with LSU with Ed Ogeron. That 2019 LSU team, I mean, I I could do a whole show on just how that team to me is just different compared to almost any other college football team ever to even win national titles. When you look at it now, Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, that alone should have people just absolutely shivering 
Because as great as many of those Miami teams were in the early 2000s, I think the other truly transcendent college football teams, theirs were more built off depth. They had a few stars, yes, but not in terms of like game-changing players in the NFL at their respective positions. You can make the argument, and I think it's a darn good one, that Chase and Jefferson are the two best wide receivers in football, one going into year three, the other going into year two, and Burrow is a top 10 quarterback, and he will be likely for the rest of his career. So there is that sort of like interesting look to them of, man, how talented they were. And I thought Ed Ogeron was going to potentially build a long-term success there. I really, really did. But it didn't. He's out, and a lot of that just comes from his almost his own success. LSU loved Ogeron. He was LSU born and bred. You could barely understand him at times. And they loved him. But he had that just spectacular year at LSU, and it almost made it to where okay, well, like, we need to be great now forever. We, that's, we need to be that good all the time. And it was, just, it was just impossible to be that good over and over and over again. It was almost impossible. And he somewhat built, you know, his own prison. So who will be that next team? I think Harbaugh is not set in Michigan long-term. Obviously, he almost went to the Minnesota Vikings this past offseason before Kevin O'Connell took over. What happens there now when he eventually leaves? Probably within the next five years. Michigan was floundering. Ohio State, they were able to kind of keep it going after Urban Meyer left because they 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 keep everyone together. Just keep everything together. Get Ryan Day, and you're good. Nothing changed, really, and you were able to just kind of keep pushing along. Clemson, Dabo Sweeney. We saw last year that there was a little bit of a flaw there with with Clemson, that you know, getting all-pro-level talents at quarterback can save that team from a lot of issues. Going back-to-back from Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence saved also kind of made things harder for them once they were done. USC, though, gets Lincoln Riley. I would love to see USC come back. I would. USC was fun. They were a good time. When USC was good, it was like that one team you always wanted to like stay up late at like 10, 11 at night, and they'd play like Oregon. And it was, But it was just a blast because the Pac-12 has always been a much more throwing conference. The Big 12 kind of took that over as well. But like the SEC used to be like ground and pound and defense and, you know... It, when I was growing up, Alabama and LSU playing in a national championship that ended 6-3 to three was just vile in every sense. So I'd love if USC could come back. Of course, I'm a Texas fan. I'd love for Texas to come back, and I'd hope Oklahoma falls flat on their face now that Lincoln Riley's gone. I probably won't get that, but we'll see. Florida, I think, would be a lot of fun if they were back-back. I don't like Florida State. I... I have nothing positive to say about Florida State, but Florida Florida was fun, and I can't wait for that documentary of the Tim Tebow-Urban Meyer-led Florida Gators with just all of the mess that was going on there and how they were somehow able to be one of the more talented teams in college football. But we're noticing that a little bit more, that 
there's a few teams here and there that do dominate, but really it's there are certain teams that just never stopped. They just kept moving forward. Clemson had their run, I think, with Deshaun Watson and then Trevor Lawrence back-to-back. That helped them out. LSU, if they could have found another quarterback opposite Joe Burrow right after him, I think they would have been moving right along. They couldn't get that. But, man, 12 teams. 12 teams is a lot. And I just I don't know if we're going to get as many new national champions as I think a lot of us would like to see. I think we're just going to be turning the wheel on the same four or five programs year in and year out. We're going to take a quick timeout and we come back. Johnny Manziel is going to be the next former college player to get a documentary on Netflix. We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you for the next half hour as we head into a long Labor Day weekend. I'll also be in tomorrow. I'll be hosting Sports Talk Saturday with Josh Schmidt. Nate Geary has the day off, so we'll be doing that for you know a few hours, which is exciting. That's fun. But I want to dive in now. We're going to stick very, very college football today. Tomorrow will be more Bills talk, Sabres talk, a little more college football as well, with you know that being the first big Saturday. But the Untold Documentary Series on Netflix, I very recently watched the new one that came out with Manti Teo, and I loved it. I thought it was a great documentary. I had a a few issues with it, but nothing crazy. But I I loved hearing the Manti Teo story behind him being catfished, his senior year at Notre Dame, what followed when he got into the NFL, what, what really happened to him in terms of his mental health and stuff like that. I loved it. I thought it was great. And because also Manti Teo was you know, a staple in college football. He was a staple. He was, you know, for that year, 2012, he was the face of college football for a good part of it. The other face, though, was Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel, the eventual Heisman winner. The youngest Heisman winner of all time is a redshirt freshman. He's now, he's now been passed by, you know, true freshman to win it. But Johnny Manziel, to me, and I'm a Texas fan. I don't like A&M. I want that rivalry back because I can't stand A&M and I want to see Texas play them. But Manziel meant a lot to me growing up watching football. Because it offered up to me a number of viewpoints I had just not been old enough to see. I didn't know. I'd never experienced them firsthand. Number one, the truly transcendent college football player. The guy, running back, quarterback, wide receiver, what have you that just absolutely owned every Saturday that you would watch and you knew for a fact 98% of the country who was also watching college football was watching the same game as you for the exact same reason. And to me, that was just, it was so interesting because yeah, Heisman winners always have had like that, you know, you know, they're the face of college football that year, blah, 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 blah. A lot of the time, it's the guy that comes in the year prior with preseason hype that really becomes the big story because they fail. That becomes a big story. I you know, always distinctly remember Denard Robinson of Michigan that he came in with so much hype. That Michigan team with Rich Rodriguez as head coach came in with so much hype, and they got just boat raced by Alabama. I, I, I always remember that as like one of those specific examples. But Manziel, for those two years at A&M, was just, it, he was different. And for my generation, he meant a lot. 
And to be honest, I don't really know if we've had another Johnny Manziel or someone even close. Baker was a fun story, yes, but he wasn't nearly as exciting. Jameis Winston, the same thing. He threw a lot of touchdown passes, but what made Manziel so much fun was him running. The passing was whatever. We'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. But for me, it was much more him running that was just so ex- exceptional. And he came into college football at a time when, you know, some, one of your best quarterbacks in college football was A.J. McCarron. Very boring. You know, Zach Mettenberger over at LSU. Very boring. And some of the other guys who you know, were good just weren't, you know, who, who could do that who are playing like that, we're just not on good teams. Pat White of you know West Virginia, they weren't that good. They, I think they, I think he had like a ten or eleven win season one year, but they just they weren't going to compete with the SEC of Alabama and stuff like that. You know, the few years later, college football kind of needed this guy, and it got him for two years. He was just he was college football. And in a way, though, he was college football in both the positives and the negatives. It's super exciting. All the time, you were at Kyle Field uh, with A&M. It, just, it felt like every other weekend, college game day was there. Especially the two games against Alabama. Oh, boy. But it was also the negative stuff. Manziel himself personally was not a nice guy by any stretch of the imagination. He had a drinking problem, I think a gambling problem, a drug problem, or at least rumored to have all three. Rumored was not a very nice guy to his girlfriend. He was everything negative as well about the spotlight of becoming a Heisman winner, especially a Heisman winner at 19, 20 years old. You're barely an adult. I'm 24 years old. I'll tell you right now, until I was like 23, I'd barely consider myself an adult. I think most 21, 22-year-olds would tell you that, yeah, I may be able to legally drink, but oh boy, I'm not ready to be an adult. I think most would tell you that. 18, 19, 20? Certainly not. Get out of here. But I'm 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 going to watch this documentary. I watched the Manti Teo one for a far different reason than I'm going to watch this one. The Manti Teo one I wanted to watch because I just never understood as I got older. You know, when I was younger, it was different. But as I got older, I never understood the constant just bashing this guy. And then watching the documentary and finding out that it really, for him, you know, questions he was getting by draft um, people, you know, as he's coming out of Notre Dame was essentially, so are you this gullible or are you hiding your sexuality? And for him, he's sitting there, he's like, well, I, 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 the truth is probably that I'm that gullible, but that's going to dock him down in the draft. And it was so painful to listen to him talk about the fact that, you know, the football field went from like his one true like place of peace. A lot of athletes think this way. If you're a baseball player on the diamond, you know, soccer and football player, you're on the field. Me as a swimmer for a long time, it was in the pool, in water was where I just I felt the most comfortable. And to then hear him talk about when he got drafted to the NFL that all of a sudden his job now was the scariest place he could be. That being on a football field was a nightmare for him. And yet he had a pretty successful career. Not to the extent of what I think a lot of people hoped out of Manti Teo, 
but he fell to the second round and just recently got out of the NFL, very recently. But you do wonder what could have been with a talent like Manti Teo if something like that never had happened. Let's say that fake girlfriend thing never happens. Manti Teo is still probably the face of Notre Dame football. He had been for two years prior to that. He's absolutely a first-round pick, even with the tough national championship performance. But to be honest, he doesn't have both his grandma and his quote-unquote girlfriend dying the same day. He doesn't have that weighing on him now as well of the whole somewhat figuring out that this girlfriend that died is in you know in his world at this point still alive and and all this crazy he doesn't have that going on he just has a singular focus of let's beat Alabama and they still lose let's not kid ourselves that was not a game they still lose but at least then he probably has a solid game Alabama clearly is just more talented than they are overall you know Manti Teo was just a linebacker he's not you know every position everywhere let's say he gets picked in the mid first round I could see him absolutely making probably a pro, a pro bowl or two. And still being having a pretty solid career and, and somewhat getting close to retirement now. He would have been in the league for 10 years, going on 11. That's probably it. But now the Johnny Manziel documentary. I'm going to watch this. Absolutely, I'm going to watch it. Are you kidding me? I like the I like the Untold documentary series. I love the Manti Teo one. I assume they're going to do a great job with Johnny Manziel. But I'm going to watch it for a very different reason. Because, well, with Manti Teo, I just I didn't watch him play much. I'm not a Notre Dame fan. I try not to watch most of their games. I'll watch you know tomorrow against Ohio State, but I try not to watch many of their games. But with Johnny Manziel, I'm going to watch it for the far more negative aspect. I watched Johnny Manziel play football. I loved watching Johnny Manziel play football. But I do want to hear what he has to say about those two years at A&M. And what happened, and the spotlight that got to him, the money sign, the issues he had off the field, even on the field during his his redshirt sophomore season. You know, his passing numbers actually improved from his freshman year to his sophomore year. His freshman year, the year he won the MVP or the the Heisman Trophy, twenty six touchdowns, nine picks, just over thirty seven hundred passing yards, and a sixty eight completion percentage. Of course, what really and I've and I've talked about this, what really won him the Heisman Trophy though was his rushing. Over 1,400 yards rushing and 21 touchdowns. But his second year, he threw 37 touchdown passes, 13 picks, over 4,000 yards, almost 70 completion percentage. He only had nine rushing touchdowns, little under 800 rushing yards. But it was the negative stuff. It was the fact that you'd, you'd watch guys like Skip Bayless and they're, and they're telling you after he got picked by the Cleveland Browns, that all of a sudden it would become an issue. You could see it a little bit that it was becoming an issue when you have guys like Skip Bayless bringing up that, well, he's going to be bigger than LeBron James in Cleveland. LeBron James was from Cleveland and was significantly the best player in basketball at the time he was making that statement. Johnny Manziel is the product of overhype. That's exactly what Manziel is, in in every sense of the word. He had a bad attitude and no real NFL traits. I'm not even talking about the fact that Johnny Manziel was shorter. That's whatever. That's neither here nor there. Baker, Russell Wilson, now Kyler Murray. That doesn't mean anything to me. 
But go back and watch some of his highlights, some of his great games, especially the game against Alabama in 2012. You know, he's running around, he makes that absurd throw to Mike Evans. Every coach would tell you it was, a, it was literally one of the worst decisions he could have made because he threw it in the middle of the field, just chucked up a ball. It was an awful decision. But he had an, a truly, potentially Hall of Fame level wide receiver and Mike Evans make, it, make a play for him. Manziel didn't have a strong arm at all. Didn't really even have an NFL arm. He's quick, but he's not, you know, Lamar Jackson, Kyla Murray, Malik Willis fast. He's obviously not a bull like Josh Allen. He's not even the athlete that Carson Wentz is. And then you draft him in the first round, even though realistically he was a second, third round talent. Probably more third round. In the opposite sense, I would say Tim Tebow is a lot like him. But Tebow was basically all positive. It was more you, you just couldn't stand his personality because he just he was a guy you obviously couldn't sit down and have a beer with. You know, sometimes the over-religion did turn people off. It is what it is. But Tebow was drafted over, with overhype as well. He was a first-round pick when he was like a fifth-round quarterback at best. His mechanics were abysmal, if not just not a thing. So what happens now? Well, Johnny Manziel fails in the NFL and really just since has only he's only been in the news for bad things including, you know, basically getting kicked out of the Canadian Football League. I want to see what this documentary like what he has to say. Cuz I left the Manti Teo documentary almost wishing he had more anger in his heart and he had none. Manti Teo was a man of faith, and, and you could tell he, re- he really grabbed onto that to kind of hold him together. Now he's married, he has a kid, and, you know, he clearly is happy with where his life has ended up. But with Manziel, I'm less sure. Manziel is a much more toxic road, a lot of that being paid with his own deeds. I'm fascinated to see what he does and how he does things. Because if we're being honest, Manziel just... It's not going to have a happy ending, likely. Because Johnny Football should have just been a guy like a Pat White or like any other great college quarterback that just is drafted in the fourth, fifth round. A.J. McCarron is a guy he beat in, in 2012. And he just built himself, himself up as a backup quarterback. Menzel could have been that. Third, fourth round pick to like the Dallas Cowboys probably or even the Cleveland Browns. Makes a ton of money, is a loved backup. Kind of builds himself up a lot like Doug Flutie. And, you know, after maybe a few years of NFL coaching, of getting the bad habits out of the way, maybe he's a darn solid backup. A guy that just can go around the league, can start a few games for you, and he'll always have that Heisman Trophy. He'll always have that time at A&M where he was a folk hero. But instead... He was a very negative personality with a lot of demons and was the product of a ton of overhype that was just never, never understandable. He was a fun college quarterback, but was never an NFL prospect. Not a serious one. Because you see now, especially now in the NFL NFL draft process, how many of these quarterbacks are getting drafted by major schools? Allen, Wyoming, Lamar, Louisville. How many really? 
This year, we're finally going to get, you know, two again. That being Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, both coming from Alabama and Ohio State, respectively. But then maybe the guy that's going to sneak up and take the number one spot is Kentucky's Will Levis. But, I don't know. I'm very interested in this because I, I don't see how it's a positive documentary for Johnny Manziel. But I still think it will be a riveting watch because of who Johnny Manziel is and because of who the Johnny football persona was. It was an awesome time in college football. But, like I said earlier, Manziel was both the best parts of college football and its absolute worst. We're going to take a quick time out and we come back. We're going to talk a little baseball. Mets, Yankees, very much trending in the opposite direction. We'll talk about that as we wrap up the nightcap and WGR this week as we head into a long Labor Day weekend. We'll do that when we come back here on the nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you for another few minutes as we wrap up the week here on WGR. I'll be in tomorrow for Sports Talk Saturday. Nate Geary has the day off. And Chad Minnesis of Expected Buffalo will be joining the show. So look forward to that. We'll also be talking some college football. Josh Schmidt's going to join me as well. We'll talk NFL stuff as we're officially less than a week away from week one. What games I'm looking forward to for week one. Um, not name the Bills game, of course, because that's on Thursday. So I'm going to have all of that Sunday opened up to watch basically just all-day football. Miami and the Patriots is really the big one for me. I am so interested to watch that game because I am both a non-Tua believer, but I'm also not a New England Patriots believer this year. So I think that should be an interesting watch for me. And, of course, you have Joe Flacco taking on the, the Ravens, likely depending on if the Jets want to start Zach Wilson. But real quick note on baseball. The Mets continue to just be the coolest team in baseball. Like, the Dodgers may technically be better, even though the Mets just got a series win over them. But, like, the Mets are just cool. Edwin Diaz's walkout music is still, it's still a bump. I still love it. It hasn't gotten old yet for me. And I just like them. And the Yankees continue to just be this team that started off the year great. And really, the only, I guess, positive thing they've done since their great start is they haven't gone on, like, a 20-game losing streak. That's about it. Because if they would have done that, the team would actually feel like exactly where they should be, which is floundering around 500. That's how the Yankees feel to me. And I, and I, I imagine it's got to be a frustrating thing for Yankees fans, especially the record just does not indicate the feel of the team or even how they're playing right now. But that's going to do it for me here on the Nightcap. Thank you for listening. Enjoy your long weekend, Labor Day weekend. Watch some football. Go to some barbecues. Relax. Have some fun. I'll be back on tomorrow from 11 to 2 for Sports Talk Saturday. Nick Geary has the day off. I'll be joined by Josh Schmidt and Chad Edmonesis of Expected Buffalo will be joining us as well to, for some Sabres talk. Thank you for listening and have a great night. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.